You are listening to Digfin Vox. Digfin is an online media group covering the digital transformation of financial services. Our podcast comes to you twice a month from our base in Hong Kong, Asia's leading financial center, where East meets West and developed markets meet the emerging consumer. Go to our website, www.digfingroup.com, so you don't miss out on our in-depth daily stories on how your clients and competitors are changing their business models across asset management, banking, capital markets, and insurance. Your podcast host is James Lindsay, and this is the voice of tech innovation in finance. This is Digfin Fox. Today on Digfin Vox, we have the pleasure of speaking with Pauline Ray and Ian Lowe from the FinTech Control Tower and Expand Research, a company of the Boston Consulting Group. Pauline is the Managing Director, Asia Head at Expand, and the Global Lead for the FinTech Control Tower, whilst Ian is their Project Leader and Lead Analyst. The FinTech Tower provides strategic insights and expertise into the exciting and rapidly growing FinTech, InsureTech, and RegTech landscapes. Together, they possess leading-edge fintech knowledge and have a proprietary database of over 13,000 startups. This podcast was recorded live in Singapore from the Fintech Festival. Hi, this is James at uh, Digfin, and welcome back to our podcast series, uh, Digfin Vox. So I have the pleasure today to speak with Pauline Ray and Ian Lowe from Expand Research. We're in Singapore and they have been doing some uh, great work on researching reg tech. So we're going to be talking about regulation technology and maybe some soup tech, if that's relevant. Um, but uh, So Pauline, why don't you kick us off and just tell us a little bit about the project, tell us a little bit about what you guys did, um, and then we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty around use cases for reg tech. Thank you, Jamie. So um, this project is part of the BCG Expand FinTech Control Tower. The idea was to identify, to look at a, what the landscape of RegTech looked like, uh, which is uh, to, to be able to find those companies. First, we worked on the taxonomy, which uh, we'll, we'll cover later on. In the end, we came across 400 companies globally distributed across the, the three regions with uh, the top three locations being EMEA, in the UK, the US, and in Asia, Australia. Okay, and is there um, a reason why those three sort of English-speaking countries have dominated the reg tech scene? We link it very closely to the number of regulations. So the, the more regulatory change that we find, the more reg techs appear. Okay, so those are also the most regulated places. <clears throat> exactly. Okay. Um, so, Ian, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the nature of the reg techs that you have been researching and talking to, um, and give us a sense of, are these doing very diverse things? Are they tackling a wide range of problems? Or did you find that they tended to coalesce into a couple of recognizable themes? Very good question, James. Thanks for that. Um, so I think to, the short answer to that question is yes. Uh, it is indeed very diverse, the spaces that they are actually uh, tackling. Right. We have seen red tech solutions uh, trying to solve problems within the onboarding space, which mm-hmm. is really where the first uh, interaction that a bank will have with a client to try to make that process a little bit less painful for the clients uh, and also to really to make sure that you're onboarding the right guys because you do not want to be introducing the fraudulent people right. into the organization. 
And of course, we have then to talk about transaction activity, that is then these onboard clients will actually be um, doing within the organization. How do you make sure that the solutions that you are using are actually effective, not only efficient, but effective in catching the bad guys? Because you do not want to let the bad guys be catering AML activities. And we've seen globally a lot of fines have been packed to the amount of AML fraud that was detected right. by the regulators. So then the step after that, that will be actually to then interface and report this uh, information that you have captured about your transaction monitoring activities back to the regulators. So how do you make that reporting process a little bit more intelligent, a little bit less painful for your own stuff internally? Then we have wrapping around all that sort of activity, a suite of red tech solutions that do things like how do you uh, look at your operational risk on an ongoing uh, basis, as well as some other general compliance workflows, automation processes, and also learning and understanding and keeping up to pace uh, with the regulations that's coming online. Because uh, as Pauline mentioned, uh, banking industry is a heavily regulated industry and it's only increasingly getting heavily regulated. Regulators are coming up with new requirements and these requirements are getting more complex. Right. And you multiply that with multiple jurisdictions across the world, especially an international bank will be in different jurisdictions uh, and also have different local languages that they have to deal with. How does an internal compliance team actually handle that complexity at a pace that is required of them? So is there red tech solutions applying clever technologies today such as natural language processing able to help these banks better keep pace with those requirements. Are you finding that most reg techs are focusing on financial institutions as clients or users of their technology and service or is there also uh, are they targeting this to to technology companies whether they're startups or, or big ones because uh, we, we hear all the time that um, banks have a compliance culture and tech companies do not, and so this is often a, uh, a reality check for them when they're mm. entering financial services. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about who, who are the intended users of most of these reg techs that you, that you find. Yeah. It is very definition, reg tech is industry agnostic, so we do not believe that reg tech only serves uh, the banking industry, so reg tech is across multiple verticals uh, of our economy, but we do agree that we do see a lot of activity today being reg tech servicing banks as the primary first step to build their value proposition. Uh, we have come across a couple who, who are a bit more mature along their journey that have started branching out across other verticals of the economy and trying to offer to other heavily regulated industries, I could just name a few, like utilities, uh, the aerospace and stuff like that. But primarily, yes, so it is the first step uh, to offer to the fin because uh, heavily in the regulated industry, strong pent-up demands over the past few years, very, very uh, huge amount of interest, especially with banks that have a more mature uh, technology team. Right. They're also better equipped to understand the nature of the disruptions that actually these new red techs are offering, right? right? We are talking about things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and you're going to... I'm not trying to um, put down the other industries or stuff, but certain industries may be a bit less uh, familiar with the usage of adoption of such technologies, whereas the FI space can be a little bit more advanced on these fronts. What's the, um, either one of you could ask, answer this perhaps, what's the likelihood of any of these technologies or services or business models becoming a utility? Uh, we, we hear this in a conceptual way, um, whether it's sometimes from the regulators themselves or the banks are, you know, they all know that their customers are tired of having to fill out the same forms, put in the same information um, over and over again, and a lot of this could probably be done. But at the same time, <clears throat> it sounds nice, but uh, in the real world, uh, it doesn't always work that way. So yeah. do you have a sense of the potential for 
uh, some of this becoming a utility that everybody could share in, or, or is that just uh, mm. not a business model that would actually fly? Definitely. So I think on the verification space, we've seen uh, the for for client onboarding wherever one of the banks commented uh, as we were uh, talking to them that the space where you need where you should the public sector should come in and become a utility is where you you have a database of identities right like so uh, my info in singapore or exactly. in india exactly so that is something that they see that globally uh, will, will happen, so they don't really see a rec tech going into that space or shouldn't really be right. going okay. into that space. Okay. Um, when we talk about onboarding, I mean, so we can break these down. So you, you identified three basic areas and then sort of a wrapper. So let's talk about the onboarding process. How diverse are the solutions among the reg techs that you mm -hmm. find? Mm -hmm. uh, and do you have a sense of what is a successful business model or a successful technology approach that they have when it comes to onboarding, or uh, is, it, is it unknown yet because they haven't been tested long enough? So I think there's, broadly speaking, there are three main categories, I would say, or three main teams of the kind of uh, solutions that operate within that space. The first, uh, I will call onboarding in a broader cluster of just verification of identity in right. general. So I think the first step is really about the data that goes into the verification checks and things. So you're thinking about things like sanction lease, uh, world check being an example, and also other kind of uh, information that will indicate whether the client that you, you are going to onboard could be a potentially fraudulent one. So that we see a number of players that provide uh, values there, first of all, to aggregate alternative data sources, such as using your a person's digital me uh, media so social presence, right. uh, or, or better curate the kind of existing databases today and aggregate those today and provide a much cleaner data checklist for the organizations who, to then compare in a more and more efficient and effective manner. So I will suggest that that's the first team that we are seeing, the data parts. And then we have the second team, which is I think is really very uh, pretty common today, which is really the automation piece. It's really around how do I make the interaction of the actual onboarding of the document or scanning of the documents and transfer, trans, transferring physical information into digital information in a much better way. So I would say that's the second team of the solutions from Red Text that we're offering. The last one, and it's increasingly a big uh, thing, especially in uh, Asia, where there's a need to actually reach out to um, uh, potential use uh, co consumers that are currently underserved or underbanked in very remote regions. Right. How do I use remote onboarding techniques such as you know, facial recognition, biometrics, to actually reach out to these uh, consumers and actually uh, onboard them in a still a safe and compliant manner that, that I have to find. Uh, and and w as many companies are offering these, mm. are they becoming uh, commoditized or is there still a lot of differentiation uh, in the quality or the approach they use or the business models that they're bringing to uh, a B2B customer? Frankly, uh, we see a lot more diversity within the remote onboarding team. Okay. There's still a lot of different solutions that people are using. So video uh, conferencing, uh, video onboarding being one of those. And there are some that just go straight with the, the thumbprint and biometrics. Very, very, very different methods right. too. And frankly speaking, we have not seen uh, a, 
um, a particular solution that has grown to a particular scale of adoption, where we can claim that this is going to take this a competitive. Yes, exactly right. right. Whereas the the the, the in automation of the interaction ones and more so on the data size, we have seen uh, strong players and emerging players come up, come up emerging and come consolidating this. Space. I do I do think that um, in the next year or eighteen months we'll see uh, potentially that scaling up because we're seeing a lot of this digital neobanks right. who will be leveraging those solutions yes. and potentially will be then adopted by the banks because right now the challenges that the banks have is if, if you use identification the way you hold your, your phone, the way you use your, your board, what if um, your keyboard, what if you're, you have a broken hand and you use your other hand, then that uh, way of identifying is no longer accurate. So they're constantly, every time we have this discussion with the banks, they're constantly putting risk scenarios that um, just make the solution not look scalable. So in other words, the banks keep finding ways that people inadvertently or deliberately could circumvent the, exactly. the, the controls. Yeah. And so they're, they're just, it turns out that the compliance people actually have some tough questions for the red tech industry to, to still solve. Yeah, while, the, while you have the neobanks and a digital bank, which is all through an app, yeah. uh, onboarding, no, no branches, no, no, um, no face-to-face, no face -face, uh, all of those solutions will be done uh, digitally. Right. So that that we will also get uh, more comfortable as a consumer with those uh, with those developments. Right. Okay. So these questions that the banks pose to the reg techs, they're legitimate questions, but they're not necessarily deal breakers, um, uh, and, and they're not necessarily non-compliant. I guess is the more important thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, how well do these solutions travel across borders? You mentioned that, for example, in Asia Pacific. Uh, Australia has emerged as a hotbed for reg tech innovation. Um, are they developing solutions that are very specific to Australia or are they developing things that could be applied in Singapore or in uh, Korea or you know what have you? So they're definitely global solutions. Uh, the Australia story is, a, is an interesting one. One of the, one of the consultancy firms looked at uh, uh, the total, uh, the workforce in Australia in 2011, 2012, and saw that the total workforce, 8% of the total workforce in Australia worked in compliance-related tasks, which wasn't very productive. So there was a real policy-driven initiative to make, um, to automate uh, compliance, um, to automate compliance across industry, not just financial services. So a lot of the solutions that are being created in Australia have traveled well, and in fact, better outside of Australia through uh, through Austrade, which has offices pretty much all around the world. Right. So we've seen those solutions um, being applied. Uh, it, it's a great uh, testing ground for anything in, in the UK uh, and, and in the US, but more and more as well in the region. Right, okay. Um, let's talk a minute about um, integration. Um, we were, you're talking about some of the technical or I say the compliance issues themselves, but what about uh, the integration into a bank's system? Are these easy to put on top of a legacy system? No. No, okay, okay, so. All right, so, yeah. so next question. Okay. <laughs> no, it's a visual answer, but, but, but honestly speaking, I think, I think, I think for any vendors that have um, worked with large banks before, they, they will definitely agree that it's not easy, and it's usually not a straightforward one. Uh, integration story, uh, especially with large banks that have uh, significant legacy systems, and it's 
I would say there's a very, very uh, often uh, complaint, not complaint, uh, concern <laughs> that we have come across uh, speaking with both banks as well as uh, red tech companies themselves is the biggest hurdle. Uh, sometimes they explain the technical issues and there's also the part about red techs because of the cost advantage utilizing public cloud technologies. And then when you want to uh, sell that idea to some of the banks, right. that customer did on the cloud. Exactly still right. Sensitive. Exactly right. And the problem with this gray zone is that banks, um, it's regular are not exactly saying no to public clouds, right. but then the regulators demand banks to go through a very serious, uh, a, a very difficult series of due diligence processes, which from a bank's perspective amounts to a no. Yeah. So then they ask the same requirement to the red tax, and then they're obviously on incomparable in scale to some of the more traditional payers that the banks are used to dealing with, like the IBM and stuff. And then they're asking things like, have you done this penetration test? Can you prove me all your sustainability of income and all that kind of stuff? And that's just the piece about you know, uh, getting the conversation going. And after that, you have to talk about how to you know, mesh the data flows into the banks. It's a very different uh, uh, are, are there any banks or other financial institutions that you feel have become leaders in this regard? They've taken the plunge and they're working and they're, they're doing something very uh, pragmatic uh, in this? Are anybody setting themselves up as a, as a leader in, in adopting reg tech? Yeah, so I mean, I think adopting reg tech and, and also uh, the, the the relationship with, they have their fintech ready, what we call them. ING, for example, developed uh, everything from the, the, the procurement system all the way to deployment, finding a business sponsor that will commit to that deployment is, um, is what you're after because like uh, Ian alluded to, um, someone that has to uh, fill in 300 page IBM equivalent type of uh, contract or, or due diligence is, is just impossible to do. So we're, we're finding that uh, in, in the case of ING, they, they, they truly are fintech ready, which applies to regtech as well. Right, okay, so a case to, for others to, yeah. to look at. Um, what does this also mean for employment? So we've seen since the GFC, um, the biggest employment for banks has been in compliance, mm. credit risk, um, and or, or risk management um, and, uh, and and these kinds of roles. Um, is that wave going to continue just because of the sheer amount of regulation, no matter how good the tech solution, or will there are banks looking to adopt this to to make meaningful cuts to headcount? So I think the productivity gains will come from um, uh, uh, it, it's it's redeploying that staff that those people right because if you look in the financial crime an organization that has four thousand five hundred people you will see a lot of attrition because a lot of this work is looking at false positive which is not very right. interesting job mm -hmm. and right. in some instances it's there's a lot of overtime and weekend associated to that so. The idea of bringing automation is not just, you know, you're not going to have this dystopian view of the world where um, there's going to be a lot of unemployed mm. people. It's more about redeploying those people and making do value-added tasks in addition to, um, uh, to, to, to avoiding errors. And as the idea as well is for the banks to grow their business and the, the employees to, to grow with that business. And what are the... Um, the implications, I guess, for the, okay, how effective will this be? So let, let me go back. So banks, since particularly since the GFC, but even before that, have been spending billions of dollars on compliance, and yet we still have the issue where we just have these banks are just often just too big to be properly managed. So we still have scandals. We still have fines. Um, despite all the amount of money that's going into this, we've had all kinds of problems. Uh, 
So you could argue uh, that you know it doesn't really work very well uh, the status quo, um, and it's it's a big waste, or or at least it's 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 inefficient use of money that's not really addressing mm -hmm. a lot of the problems. So can RegTech actually make compliance effective and really provide the proper screens, provide an efficient way to really uh, force banks to be better stewards um, and and so on, in, including in, in you know markets where sometimes uh, practices are, are, are not so great, um, or or is this just going to be another way to spend money inefficiently? I think yes. I think I'll, I'll point that to because of the nature of the technologies that this new wave of red techs are using. It's really uh, much more advanced, uh, like artificial intelligence and machine learning and things like that. <clears throat> I think the, 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 the reason, one of the reasons other than just having this, the, the, the on-rise of all the regulatory uh, requirements, it, the sense is that we are at a point where we just... There's just no way to continue to scale uh, by throwing the additional headcount. Head there, there has come to a point where we need to look at fundamentally the kind of technology that we are using to solve these problems. It needs to really be much more effective. Right. And that effectiveness is really the key, uh, the key word here. Yeah. How do we actually do more with, with kind of, uh, less resources in a way? So I think it, it is, we are already at the point where we are starting to see this kind of productivity gain, the effectiveness gain is coming out from this type of new kind of red te technology. Yeah. And I think it will really do solve that kind of um, problems that you just alluded to. Okay. Yeah. And, and often on the back of a, of a fine comes the, the, the bank will report back to the regulator the, the, the project that they've put together, which equals... Uh, budgets and, and more people typically, but as the regulator themselves uh, moves into uh, adopting new technologies, regulatory reporting, digitizing regulatory reporting as well, they're also um, understanding that bodies yeah. do not equate efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah. So last question before we wrap up is, uh, to what extent are these technology solutions being pitched directly to regulators? What's kind of their need and how is that different from uh, a bank? Do you need a completely different stack, a completely different business model to, to sell to a regulator? <clears throat> First of all, uh, to address the question, uh, answer your question whether there is a lot of red hat selling to regulators, no, but that's really because regulators are very small markets. Uh -huh. But I think the recognition is that there is a lot of the fundamental technologies that we just spoke about yeah. that red techs use, regulators can use as well. Yeah. In, it's just really flipping to the other side of the coin, right? And there is even more uh, compelling use cases in certain, certain scenarios, such as you know, uh, monitoring on a, 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 a macroeconomic perspective, the kind of identity, because regulators get all the data fed to them in one central place, right? Yeah. So we are really overlapping the topic of uh, having centralized utilities and stuff like that. So how do we using such a vast amount of data that's available in the regulator space to actually apply this kind of new, uh, if more effective technologies to as a whole in a kind of utility way, understand who are the fraudulent player and also to look at the kind of impact on certain uh, economy activity on the broader systemic financial stability of the economy. Okay. Yeah. So a lot more regulators are actually looking into that. I think in MASB they coined the term subtech or subtech yeah. Yeah. and it's a, a key area. So and you're also that. seeing examples in Australia with ASIC doing NLP mm -hmm. trials. The same in the UK Natural and Canada. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I lied, I do have one, one more question, uh, <laughs> which is, um, do you see, uh, or any of the technology companies you talk to, um, is there a role for blockchain at some point in terms of providing an identity solution? Mm. 
I think this is a this is covering on the digital identity uh, part. Um, there is a definitely a role to play, uh, but I think the problem with blockchain is that is. I think there's a general sense that over the last two years that it's become evolved into the buzzword that's looking for use cases now. Right. And it's, uh, it's really hard to get uh, a actual pro- pragmatic implementation of the solution in something that's as complex as national digital identity space. Right. We, we think it's possible. We have a very small number but of numbers yeah, it's so not really operating in the blockchain that, yeah, verification yeah, cluster. Yeah. yeah, okay, so one yeah. for the future. One for the future. Okay, great. So Pauline Ray and Ian yeah. Lowe, Thank you so much for your time. Uh, great speaking with you. Thanks, Thank Jamie. You. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening. I'm James Lindsay, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the commercial director of Digital Grid. If you enjoyed this podcast, please listen again. Share it on social media so your friends can find it.